0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Bienvenidos and welcome to the Believe Knicks podcast. Matthew Miranda joined, as always, by Stacey Patton off of a very exciting, perhaps for some people's taste, too exciting um, victory last night for the Knicks, who held on after building a a big first half lead, um, and then Indiana spent basically the entire fourth quarter uh, nibbling away at whatever sanity people had left. But also that ends well, the Knicks were able to pull it out. Um, We may talk about that a little bit today, but like the Knicks themselves, we're going to try to look forward. Um, New York's next game is tomorrow night, Friday night, against the Washington Wizards. And we have a special Wizards guest today to help us navigate that particular franchise. But before we get into that, Let's let you know that basketball is back. It's been back for a while. Bet Online remains your number one source for all your sports betting needs this season. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at Bet Online. And as your continued source for all sports wagering information, Bet Online features live betting, free contests, and giveaways all season long. Always the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. And events. I don't know what they mean when they divide sports and events. Whether the NFL, NBA, NHL, MMA, tennis, boxing. Oh, I see. Golf is, I guess, the event and not the sport. Head to betonline.ag to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use the promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your rewards. BetOnline is where the game starts. Where the pod starts today is going to be a little bit different. We are going to we're going to begin by talking with Matt Moderno. Matt Moderno, not just some guy off the street. Matt Moderno has Washington Wizards credibility. Matt Moderno, welcome to the podcast. Tell us your connection with this first of all uh
1: nice to do another believe podcast which is always cool Uh, i always tell people on our show that yes there are other believe pods so if you like other teams make sure to check them out so this is a good opportunity to cross over a little bit here uh so i I host the believe in wizards podcast also i'm a credentialed media member covering uh the wizards for bullets forever which is sort of the sp nation blog covering the Wizards. So um, I spend a lot of time watching this very, very mediocre franchise. So happy to chat with you guys about a maybe slightly less mediocre franchise. Is that fair?
0: At the moment, but mediocrity comes and goes um, as it will. So it, it could be very I, I. it's highly possible next year the Wizards are a couple games over 500 the Knicks are a little bit under and, you know, the shoe is on the other foot. We're I think I think
2: for, I think we we have company as misery loves company. I think the Wizards and the Knicks have been pretty similar. I think during the Wall years, you had a little bit. You were kind of that four or five scene area, but um, but at least in college, I think I was a Knicks fans and most of the friends who didn't clown me for being a Knicks fans are Wizards fans as well because that was also the peak of the Andre Bloch and Javaris Crittenton and uh, Nick Young and. When when the Wizards were always a shacked and a fool mainstay, when the Knicks weren't, um, you know (laughs) that really loves company by
1: trying to be good all of a sudden. Like that's uh, that's thrown us off. That was like the third leg of the stool. I feel like for a while we got we got to pull them back up down in the bucket, you know. So
0: yeah, the Kings I have been the Knicks like spiritual (laughs) Western Conference cousin for years and years and years. Um, When did you Matt? When did you first? Start following Washington. Like for you, the first teams that you followed were Um, which editions?
1: Probably the last couple years of the bullets are the ones I really remember intently. So I remember being, I don't know, like a a tween and being really into Rasheed Wallace's one year with the bullets. And then they immediately got rid of him because why Mm. have nice things on your team? You just got to get rid of them as quick as humanly possible. (laughs) We know all about that.
0: So I want to start by asking you um, about, basically, Christoph um, and yeah, how, Speaking of not having nice things on your roster. Now. <laughs> from, from an outside perspective, um, obviously there was a lot of turmoil in Nick Nation about the KP trade. I think because there was such unanimity of the national response was to come crashing down on the Knicks for, LOL Nixing scene and making a terrible deal when most of the people that I know who cover the team or, or follow the team strongly were not upset at all um, about the KP trade, mostly because they weren't confident that extending him on an injury, uh, I'm sorry, on a max deal with no injury protections was maybe not the way to go forward. He goes to Dallas, has ups and downs, mostly downs. Um, the Mavericks seem to kind of escape some negative uh, future that they envision by turning him into Spencer Dinwiddie and Davis Bertans. First, I just want before we get into KP, what happened with Spencer Dinwiddie in Washington? Because it wasn't just like he's been a, a pretty successful pro in a lot of places that he's been. It didn't work in Washington, and it wasn't just a case of it didn't work. He seemed unpopular he seemed like someone from, from at least the media perception that, that i heard it sounded like there were the wizards and there was dinwiddie and neither side was really upset when that marriage ended is that fair to say like how how, how was the, the spencer dinwiddie experience sure. how was the bitcoin if, mamba uh, if in anybody Washington? is
1: bored there's a matt sullivan book that came out in the last couple of years called can't knock the hustle i think and it talks about that nets team and first year of Kyrie and KD with Dinwiddie and I think just by how much Dinwiddie is featured in Mm. that book and the way he talks about himself uh, I think he has a pretty high opinion of himself and he wanted to come in and basically impose his leadership style on a team of guys that uh, didn't seemingly uh, welcome that or, or weren't particularly receptive to that and it just seems like there was some personality clashing there was reports of some fighting in the locker room between KCP and Montrez Harrell that year at halftime of a game. And, you know, uh, maybe Dinwiddie is the one that leaked that from the locker room, potentially, may have heard that anecdotally along the way. So I think uh when he when his leadership wasn't welcomed, I think he sort of mentally checked out. Because his first couple games here were actually really good. And then he got tentative, he wouldn't shoot, he wouldn't drive, he wouldn't play any defense. And uh, it it just sort of came crashing down pretty quickly with him, unfortunately. And the other thing they did, the Wizards love to just do dumb things when it comes to contract stipulations, is they put a contingency in there for he had to play a certain amount of games to make a certain amount of money. And he was coming off a knee injury, and it just seemed like he played kind of, and things weren't right. So I I think that was one of those things where he's like, well, I'm going to get mine at least. And if I play shitty, like, that's their problem. Oh, yeah, no, in retrospect, no, that doesn't I, seem I like
0: a great marriage. Yeah. Um, yeah, so let's move down. on to the happier. Pro seemed like happier days. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I'm guessing Porzingis has been more of a a popular figure than Dinwiddie. Um, Nick fans, we struggle sometimes, I think, to have objectivity because he was the unicorn. He came in with these certain expectations. There's so much. There's so much. So much between him and the organization. But as a fan of a team that just he's a player, he came in, you care about what he's doing for your team. Um, It seems from a distance like Porzingis has
1: been pretty good. Um, How have you how have you found the experience to be so far? Typically how this goes, the better someone plays in Washington. uh, But the more money they make, the more the fan base seems to immediately turn on them. Porzingis is in this rare spot of being really good, but also, mm. um, being pretty highly paid and no one seems to really like outwardly hate him, which I think is a success, uh, <laughs> during your time as a wizard, I guess. So he's been really good. I think he's instantly made them more credible. And I think the biggest thing is he's just been healthy. And, and I don't know that any of us expected that, uh, that he'd play more games than Beal at this point in the year. Although maybe we should start to expect that from Beal at this point, but, yeah. uh, Not shooting the ball great the last month or so overall but he's he's still a presence and big and i think the biggest thing has been uh the combination of him and and daniel gafford together it seems to really simplify things for both of them and and they've been mostly better with that combo i think now the injuries with beal out and stuff are are trying to are starting to catch up with them and it's not his fault but uh yeah he's been been good and well liked and I think pretty good in the locker room and stuff like that. I don't know. I think you guys can talk about this better than me, but there was some stuff with him and maybe his brother being a pain in the ass behind the scenes in New York and stuff like that. But uh, we haven't heard any of that here. He seems pretty well liked. So um, I I hope he kind of sticks around for a reasonable amount of money longer term, but we're now in the same boat you guys were in where do we want to give some guy with this injury history, a five-year deal for $30 million a year or whatever that looks like. And um, that would make me nervous personally.
2: Yeah, and it's um that, that is something I wanted to ask you about a little bit because um mm-hmm. he can he can opt out this year, right? So he can opt out this year. Um and I mean without the health issues, the guy's playing like a max, right? I mean everybody's going nuts over Bowery Market Market and, and right righteously so and at the risk of it's just comparing gener- <laughs> yeah. European stretch fives yeah. to each other. His production is on the same level. Um, his rim, protect- I mean, the biggest thing when I saw in Dallas was you know, on the Knicks, he was our best defensive player. I think people talked about the offense a lot, but I, I was always like, you know, we drafted Mitchell Robinson when he was hurt. And I thought, man, if we could pair those two guys together, because mm-hmm. Mitchell Robinson came in as a switchable five. Um, KP, KP was a guy who would like switch on to Harden and contest well. And then Harden would hit ridiculous shots. So it's not like not like Nick Claxton level, but with his length and size and agility, like that like I thought that could be it. He was probably he was the Knicks best defender when he was here. And that was what really was alarming about what happened in Dallas is that um he went from averaging like two blocks a game to like one. And now he's like more in the neighborhood of two gate blocks a game. And and if you watch, like it's not just cheap it's not Brooke Lopez stuff where he's like just parked at the rim. No, the I'm mobility that, yeah, um, no not I'm to not to um there. I'm not. I'm not impugning. Brook Lopez is a really good defender, worthy of all the accolades he gets. But he's he's put in a pretty um, in, in an advantageous situation, playing next to a lot of mobile guys, where he can kind of play free safety, right? Uh, whereas I think KP does can do a little bit more of that, uh, more than that. Um, but I think that's that that's very interesting. Like, are, you know, how would they view the um, the contract? And do you think there is a, a scenario in which? And and I think. You know the stuff about his brother. It does seem like he's matured a lot. It seems like playing in Dallas. He he was he was friends with Luka Doncic. I think one of the things that rubbed Knicks fans the wrong way was about five minutes after he got traded, he posted a picture of him like high fiving Luka or whatever. And and I think that you know, it sounds petty when you when you say it out loud. It sounds yeah, like really guys here we. Um, but um, but that um thankfully he did not bring any guns into the locker room afterwards but uh (laughs) um but um you know he it's um he had all those things but it does seem like he's matured um you know i think with him and you know another guy who's been playing really well for washington is kyle kuzma who's also been a free agent and that's what makes them like a very intriguing team because there's a lot of talent there, right? Beal is, you know, when healthy, a top twenty player, I think. Um, maybe maybe higher, um, depending on your opinion. Um, we've also seen from a, twenty seems, but twenty is What I would have said about Donovan Mitchell before this year, and you know, in a different situation, he's really elevated his game. I don't know if that's the case with Beal, and Beal is older. Um, but you have a, you have a star like that. And you have these a few guys who are playing really well, well above their means. Um, you know what? I think Perzingus and Kuzma are the biggest questions because, like, on the one hand, the Wizards have a shot to to make the play in and certainly the playoffs. Do you keep them around, or if you think Perzingus is going to opt out and ask for a big deal, do you try to get what you can for him? Now, you know, send him to like a team. I have a couple of teams in mind, but. Uh, and, and and I think Kuzma is the guy that keeps getting circulated a lot, right? In yeah, I per think Kuzma is the
1: guy that's much more likely to get moved, just because I think he'll net you more in return. He probably will make less money. He's got a better injury track record, and he's more positionally versatile than Porzingis is. So realistically, I think there's better chances for teams being able to sell themselves on Kuzma as kind of a longer-term complementary piece than than probably Porzingis and that's who's who's going to be the team that box and gives Porzingis that multi multi-year deal I'd rather overpay him for three years it's not my money I guess so it's easy to say that but uh the long-term thing would would make me nervous and uh I don't know it, it's just I mean we did a whole episode on our podcast about Kuzma to the Knicks trades with Dan Favali of Bleacher, uh, Bleacher Report I just I it'll be very curious <laughs> to see what he actually gets back and I don't know, but but who are the teams that could really use a center that are willing to spend thirty million dollars to keep Porzingis as anything more than a rental? There just really aren't a lot of those teams. So if you're only gonna get like a
2: Well, was there another team that was there another team recently that traded for a potentially overpaid older player from the Wizards and gave up? A couple of guys who are valuable for I that mean, i have a team
1: in yeah, mind there, there
2: are definitely some who may be desperate
1: i can see making <laughs> making it work i was actually how did kuzma you know, end up there in the first place yeah, the, the so. trade <laughs> That's obviously the the thing that they got um, kuzma to washington and, and honestly the crown jewel of the westbrook trade from the wizards perspective i think and i was actually at the wizards last game in la against the lakers and like LeBron was cheesing big time, following Kuzma around and trying to re-recruit him, I think, back to the team. And uh, you hear a lot of reports that, that Kuzma will want to go back really? to a bigger market, where he'll have a bigger role, which I don't know that he'd have a bigger role in L.A. than he does in Washington. So so maybe that's um, just a little bit of, of smoke from his team. But I could see the Lakers making a move. I could see somewhere like the Heat being interested, I guess. If you're going to trade anything, the Wizards will not trade him unless they get a reasonable enough return. uh, Because I think they think they can keep him and he'll get a better deal here. Or they could potentially, you know, sign and trade him in the offseason if they had to. So they're waiting for a certain return back. So if you're a team, you're not going to give up the farm for Kuzma unless you're confident that you can re-sign him. So if he only wants to be in a big market where he can, you know be a star or whatever it is that he wants to do. You've got LA, you've got New York, you've got Miami. Maybe you have Brooklyn there. Maybe you have Sacramento. He could talk himself into that, you know, something like that. Philly maybe. maybe. Um, West coast guy originally, I think so, you know, maybe something like that is is palatable to him. So that's a short list of teams um, that I think he could realistically probably end up on in my opinion.
2: But, but if, if the wizards were off from like $20 million, for three years do you think all things equal he'd still just want to i mean washington i think is a pretty big market but um do you think all things equal that's not enough or do you think i mean i would imagine financial just the, the I contract we'd is have the biggest to overpay priority, to keep right? him
1: by all accounts and i think even if he likes the role here if i'm his management i'm saying i'm probably not going to stay in washington unless you throw me the bag because the wizards are one of the few teams that are dumb enough to not trade someone and then panic I mean, but what do you think that bag means? Twenty million dollars a year, and not he's not really very good at basketball at this point. Uh, and Aaron Gordon makes twenty million dollars <laughs> a year, and John Collins makes thirty million dollars a year. Uh, I mean, those are he's better than the first two, and probably equivalent to the third guy. So I, I bet you he's looking for something in the four one twenty ballpark. And I, I don't know that he's a thirty million dollar person player personally, even though he's a guy I really I really like. So. Um, maybe he'd take a discount to go somewhere he'd be a little happier. You know, his girlfriend's a model, so maybe L.A. or New York is somewhere that would be a little better for them uh, from a relationship perspective. I don't know. You know, you never know what guys will factor in, but typically the Wizards are not the team that gets uh, discounts for people to to resign. So I, I'm not optimistic that they could get him on the cheap. Personally,
2: it was it was always it was also. It was always strange to me that Katie like, and I'm not. I'm trying not like. I don't mean like the, the Knicks haven't been listed for a lot of free agents. So we're the last team to talk. But it was strange to me that Katie never listed the Wizards at all. Like he's from the area. They had Beal at the time. Um, you know whether like is that been underplayed by the media or you know it? It does seem like the Wizards should be more so of a free agent I, destination. I, I than actually they are, I
1: right? used to host my podcast for the first couple of years with former short term Nick Larry Hughes and. I've talked to Larry about this a bunch, and uh, yeah. Jared Jeffries came on for see? a while while he was still working in the Denver front office. And one of the questions we had was just why isn't Washington more of a free agent destination? And I think when you're just largely incompetent for the better part of three decades, you know, minus a couple pockets here or there, it, it really kind of sours um, free agents' opinion of you. And if it's okay, yeah, they're good, but meh, they're going to do some dumb stuff, like give a guy $250 million and a no trade clause and all this other stuff. Like, do I want to hitch my cart to that wagon? I think that plays into it. So that's a question. The Durant thing, I think that was more, he just had some baggage from a family situation perspective that he didn't want to be back close to home. And uh, you know, there's, there's people kind of pulling on you and tugging on you and, and and stuff like that for things all the time. That's the same reason he never considered Maryland and went to Texas because he wanted to get far away from the area. Whereas he had a brother, Tony that played at Towson, which is, you know, in Maryland. So it's, um, I I think for him, it was just like, you know what, I want a clean slate. And he wasn't willing to give them, uh, basically even, uh, an interview, uh, during that free agency. And, and I think that, that really sunk them too, because I think that made them look worse from a free agency perspective. Like the hometown guy won't even come check them out. Other free agency stuff like that. And if you can't ever get free agents, I think that snowballs too. So it's, I don't know, just it's wizard's dumb, I guess, at this point. It's just sort of what we're used to. Nah, I mean, I I think
2: we're in the same boat. I mean, we relied on, um, I mean, our biggest free agent acquisitions of late were Randall wanting a bigger role, but I mean, it's kind of a miracle that the Knicks got Jalen Brunson, right? Um, He wanted to, he would have signed for four, for what was it? 56 with, with Dallas before last season. Um, After he played well for half the season, his dad went back to them. His dad, who everyone said the Knicks only hired him to get him. He went back to Dallas and he said, you know, like we will, we'll take it. And, um, and the Knicks, I mean, if that, if they, if they make, what would I think be one of the best contracts? If they had Jalen Brunson for four for 55 right now, I think that's one of the best contracts in the NBA. Um, so it's, but without that, the Knicks have really had not much luck either. Uh, and I think that goes to your point that, you know, big city, small city, you know, it's, you know, what can you do for me is, is kind of the, the bottom line at this point. So getting back to what we were talking about. So if you had to, you know, if you had to give odds on, Kyle Kuzma and Porzingis being back on this team next year, what would you set kind I of think the like odds? There's a 90% for each of those chance
1: guys. Porzingis is a wizard next year. I think they're willing to give him the money, whether it's the smartest yeah. thing or not. I think he says, for whatever reason, they're beholden so to like a Beal. max. And I think he says to Beal, we're serious about building around you. So I don't think there's a chance that both guys leave. And if he's not going to net you much in return, And you're not really going to do any better or sign a better free agent with that money. I think they're just willing to keep him because at the very least, he's a floor raiser. Whereas if Kuzma can get you something back, I think there's more of a chance they'll trade him. But this is the team that supposedly got offered two first-round picks for Davis Bertans at the deadline from the Celtics and passed. And then re-signed him to an $18 million a year deal that immediately looked terrible. So could I see them not trading him if they don't get like a big time offer and then throwing a bunch of money at him in the off season too? Yeah. So I, I don't know. It just, um, it's going to kind of have to juggle both deals. I think to to keep both around and how much are they willing to probably have to go into the tax if you keep both at that point and want to add anyone else. So oh, this is an owner that doesn't really historically want to do that. So maybe that makes one of those guys expendable. So I think Kuzma is much more likely to get traded I don't know if I could put odds on it necessarily, but I don't know, like a 50-50 chance he goes. I think almost the whole league assumes he's like 100% gone. But I truly believe that they'll keep him unless somebody makes them like a sweet deal. Like, I don't know, like an Emmanuel quickly and our own first-round pick-back, for, for instance. <laughs> what, would the, yeah, what, we, what kind we, of deal would you... Because
0: Washington doesn't strike me as... I don't I do I don't always know what to make of them. They don't seem like a team that that is in tank mode. It seems like they want to be competitive. They want to be decent. Um so if they were to find themselves presented with a trade that appeals for Kuzma, is that more a deal that's going to bring back young players who can contribute or a veteran who who presents a, a known skill set? It, it doesn't sound like you're talking draft picks or future things it sounds like it would be so something our, that our helps owner now famously
1: said we will never ever tank and actually shameless plug for our show here on our podcast we made t-shirts that say we will never ever tank just because that's such a you know uh, a motto of the team but <laughs> i think whatever they get back i think they're looking for some kind of first round pick in return and probably somebody that can contribute because they're not willing to like totally throw the towel in on this year, maybe they would like soft tank for the one year to try to get a good pick in this this draft. I think that's why the Knicks are so appealing is because you guys have our 2023 first round pick. Assuming that we don't uh, miss the playoffs, which they are going to try very much to make the playoffs. So either way, we'd like to get our pick back long term because that limits their ability to trade future picks. And I think trading has been sort of the best part right. of Tommy Shepard's tenure as a GM is, is his ability to to turn, I don't know, Troy Brown Jr. into Daniel Gafford and people that are actually productive for us or or Dinwiddie and Barton's into Porzingis. But if you don't have any picks to do that, it really limits your ability to get anybody. Apparently we were interested in Donovan Mitchell and DeJounte Murray and John Collins and all these people. But if you can only trade one pick in 2028, you can't do anything. So find in some way to either get a first round pick back for a future trade or yeah. our first round tra- tra- pick back so we can trade future picks or, even just lift protections with you all. Who knows? I mean, I I think they're going to want to do something to set them up for future deals, but also not totally bottom out this year. Maybe they think Rui Hachimura, or Denny Avdia can cobble together enough enough production to replace Kuzma. And if they get some kind of complimentary piece that that there wouldn't be a huge drop off. I think they're wrong if they think that, but um, you know, maybe that, maybe that's the rationale at least.
2: Mm -hmm. Is there, is there any chance they trade for Harrison Barnes? Because one wish of mine has always been the social media account for Washington to put out, you're a wizard, Harry.
1: And uh,
2: I think that's a, that's a pretty important opportunity uh, to take advantage the of. My wife big Harry
1: so. Potter fan in our family, so I think she would love that personally as well. I, I, honestly, I think Sacramento makes a little bit of a sense because it's somewhere he could have a pretty big role. It's close to Silicon Valley, at least enough to make it feel like You know, he's in the Bay somewhere and that's a big enough market and they could give us a 2029 first round pick, which realistically the Kings being good can't last for too long. Right. So by 2029, they're probably bad again. So that's an appealing pick. So (laughs) if you can get a Davion Mitchell, a Harrison Barnes and a first round pick for Kuzma, who, you know, could just very easily leave that something like that might appeal to them, honestly.
2: We we can we can also talk about you mentioned quickly, do not want to keep um, keep anyone in the dark about that, but or not that I have much light to shine, obviously, but we can talk about that. But um also you mentioned Rui and Denny, who I think are like generally viewed as talented players around the league. You know, Denny came in as one of the youngest draft picks. I think there's been a lot of flashes of very good defense. Uh, I think he really started out shooting the ball well as a rookie. Um And then it just, yeah, it hasn't, um, I've seen Rui have some really good, good performances. We have Corey Kispert, um, you know, how, how are the young guys viewed the guys on rookie deals? Do you feel like you have a core? Are there some guys who are shaking out as keepers and some who are not, you know, what's the kind of view there?
1: Rui and Denny were taken with the ninth pick. And if you look at the ninth pick for the last, let's say 22 years, right? Just this century, they're like both perfectly in the average, like right in the middle uh, I think of where you would rank those 22 guys taken. Um, mm. The guys above them are typically like all-star level players. And the guy b- below them are typically busts basically, or or just like low level, you know, Kevin uh, producers. So they're like perfectly average. And I, I think that's the thing with the Wizards is, is everything is mid essentially, right? These are guys that are both kind of one-dimensional. Rui is a head down tunnel vision scorer. He's never going to pass the ball or create anything for anybody else. And I actually mean like literally probably never pass the ball. That's my new thing is to watch how many times he actually passes total in a game. And it's usually. Who was
0: it the other day when they were playing and Rui took a shot DeLon and Wright. somebody in the strong side corner, yeah. like literally threw yeah, his I mean, literally up. clapping at him. And okay. Yeah. Delon Wright is not famous
1: for being. No, I mean, I think it's, you know, it's yeah, a great I, example. Yeah, and I think Delon Wright's not a guy that loses his shit very often. So it's like, okay, this must really frustrate teammates enough that that you got that reaction because it's not a one-time thing. And apparently Rui did apologize to him immediately after. And he's like a great dude. I I don't think it's like ill-intentioned. He's just, the feel for the game is still not there. And Denny has a pretty good feel for the game. He just doesn't have the skill set offensively to capitalize on it. So Rui's a bucket getter. Denny's a stopper. If they were one person, they'd be a hell of a player. Uh, But Denny can't shoot it, can't really dribble with his left hand particularly well, and doesn't finish super great. Uh, He's been shooting a little better on pretty low volume, and if he has actual space and a bigger guy on him, I actually think Denny would be better suited being matched up with other bigs, and teams have been putting centers on him, uh, and that maybe is too big. But somebody where he has some kind of quickness advantage, um, he can get to the rim a little bit. He was really good the other night. He finished strong. He had 20 rebounds. He played really big with Porzingis and Kuzma out. So oh, wow. he stepped up, and, and the guy plays hard as shit. Like, I got to give Denny credit for that. Like, it's never an effort problem. It's just if you can't shoot it and you're a somewhat limited ball handler and, well, he's good with his right hand, non-existent with his left, like, you're a very one-dimensional player, and that that's just, you know. So if the shooting ever come, came around and teams had to take that seriously... I think it would open up a lot of things for him, and I, he'll probably end up being a pretty darn good NBA player. Just probably by the time he leaves Washington, given our track record.
2: Yeah, and um, and so and then the third rookie is got a lot of Knicks fans wanted, mm. in Johnny Davis, um, and I think that was um, what's been rumored. That was that sure. he seems like a very Tom Thibodeau type player hard-nosed defender, gets to the rim, all of that. At least that was his MO in college. Um, you know, and I think he's been... I think it's a lot of it is unfair, but from Summer League, fairly or unfairly, he's been seen as, like, you know, I don't want to use the word bust, but people... It, it's been underwhelming mm-hmm. compared to a guy like Matherin. Like, I got into arguments with people. I was higher on Davis than Matherin coming into the draft, and so far that seems a little bit maybe incorrect. Um, you know, do they like? Because you're talking about three guys who are probably going to be trade assets, and I think the Knicks have these conversations a lot about guys like quickly, like, all right, good player on a rookie deal. Is he a keeper? Is he someone on our team? Forget about like you know, like just a franchise guy, but like, is he worth a second contract, which is a pretty big con? You know, are there doubts yet? Is it too early to say with Davis? Um, You know, are none of these guys? If it's not these three, are is there anyone on the Wizards who? You know one or two guys you see as like
1: they're like definite second contract guys, unless we get they're all like, like a star trade together. second contract guys, like where you could justify it, but also nobody'd be really mad at you if you didn't give them one. Like Rui can score a little bit if you could get him on a friendly deal, that'd be great. He's also missed a bunch of games for a lot of weird reasons that have never really been fully explained. He's had some weird injuries. Uh, Denny again, good defender, not a great offensive player. If you could keep him. Uh, on a, a reasonable second deal and have him be, you know, your sixth, seventh, eighth man for a long time. I think that'd be great. Uh, Kispert, he can shoot it. He cuts well. He's not going to probably ever be a great defender, but I think serviceable is, is attainable for him. So none of these guys are ever going to be home runs or slam dunks. They're They're all just okay. And Davis is probably another guy in in that mold. And RGM has said he drafts for role players, essentially, which I don't know why you'd ever say that out loud. But I think there's a very real likelihood that Johnny Davis ends up a good perimeter defender in the NBA. Will he ever shoot it well enough to be much of an NBA threat? Does he have much burst? I don't know. I, I tend to think in the NBA with the spacing they have, the lack of hand checking, Bursts like not as important as it used to be. If you have good footwork or you're crafty or you're strong, you know, you can make up for a lot of those things. So I'm not as worried about that aspect of it as the entire rest of our fan base seems to be. He's been a pretty good G league defender already, but yeah, he just doesn't seem like he can shoot it. He doesn't look confident when he does play NBA minutes. It's hot potato. Like, please take this ball back away from me as soon as humanly possible which is weird for a guy that scored 20 points a game wow. on a college wow. team and was conference player of the year. So. And had and he he was talked about having, for yeah. lack of a better phrase, that dog in him, right? Like he was that guy in the draft, you know, like he also played the for a very like, and heavily that, so. regimented big, you know, system college team. And you see that every year with Wisconsin that they just sort of plug and play. And, uh, you know he was the de facto scorer last year, right? and And now they just kind of keep the machine rolling without him. But it took him a year to figure down college. I'm sure in another year in the NBA and an offseason to work on some things, he'll end up being okay. But I would bet a very large amount of money that he's never better than like
2: Howard, now the game. a
1: rotation player in the NBA Oh wow. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think Dylan Brooks was
2: a guy who some compared him to, you know, like that physical sure. defender who could get
1: you a bucket. Uh and you think at that this point that's kind of a stretch. He, he's smaller than Brooks, so he'd probably be like the guard guardier version of that. The Wizards supposedly drafted him with point guard of the future in mind, which didn't really even make sense to our coach seemingly on draft night. They didn't seem to, you know, clue him in on that long-term plan, but uh this is a guy that has like limited ball handling not limited passing and, and and creation for others. And it's like, yeah, he's a point guard because he's six foot two and a half. Uh, so I don't know. We just do dumb shit. It just doesn't seem like it'll be a fit here. <laughs> and uh, they're going to try to shoehorn him into some role that he's probably not well suited to actually play longer term. And again, another guy that probably would end up blossoming as like a Courtney Lee type, maybe like less athletic version, but kind of an undersized wing uh, that can, that can guard people maybe get you a half dozen points just to a dozen points, depending on how many shots you give him, and, and maybe not be super efficient. That's probably where, where he ends up at this point, I think.
2: Makes sense. Yeah. Uh, I think, um, yeah. And, and development and, and all that comes into it too. Um, so getting back to quickly, I know there's been a lot of kind of interest on the Raptors side on him and, and maybe some other players in the Knicks. So Ian Begley, the Knicks, you know, probably one of the more credible Knicks reporters, has said a couple times in the past week that the Knicks are no longer, they were previously open to, to conversations about quickly. Um, he's been, you know, to, to provide context for those who may not have been watching, um, RJ Barrett has been out for the, he just came back for the first time yesterday. But he was out for a few weeks and quickly was playing in his stead and uh, was, I mean, I think half the games he had more than 40 minutes. Granted, Tom Thibodeau is going to Tom Thibodeau, but he's just been playing a ton of minutes with uh, on the Knicks with RJ out. Um, and I, think, I don't think it was a coincidence that after that stretch where he's been putting up good numbers, shooting the ball better, uh, his defense has been a real revelation since his rookie year. And, and you know, he does... The the thing is, he's shooting the ball worse from three. He's only shooting thirty three percent from three, and that's supposed to be his main attribute. But everything else in his game has improved so much, right? From when he was a rookie, that's what he's giving. So the Knicks, I think, are less inclined to want to trade him. Um, but um, you know what? I'm I'm curious, actually, from the Wizards' side, what the is eval- like. We love quickly, uh, or at least I do. I don't know if Matt is quite as much on the on the bandwagon as I am, but I am very much an Emmanuel quickly stand. But definitely get to get someone's perspective from, from the outside of like, you know, maybe he's someone that's attractive to your team, but how? Um, what's the view from, from the Washington I side? A lot of, of the and draft interest stuff there. for
1: Bullets Forever and quickly was a guy I had like a fringe lottery grade on. So I've always kind of coveted his skill set as a player, especially as it pertains to the Wizards, because I think he makes just a lot of like contextual sense next to Beal. Like decent enough size, good defender, can space the floor, could create enough, but also get into the paint enough that, maybe he actually like put some pressure on a defense, which is not really a thing we valued. He also has decent size for, for a lead guard, I'd say. And that's not something we've also valued with how will Neto and Ish Smith and all these other people over the last couple of years. So I think, uh, quickly, he kind of is, is the opposite of that. In my opinion, like you said, he's been really good for two weeks. He's been like 20 points, six rebounds, five assists, and a couple steals, decent enough turnover. So, um, if you're not going to turn the ball over a ton, you make three threes a game, even if you don't shoot a great percentage, like, yeah, I think he's shown that like, maybe there's more there than, than they've been able to show off. So I think Washington fans have like, like slowly come around to like, Hmm, this is a guy that like would make a lot Mm -hmm. of sense here. I think what we're not catching up to as a fan base, maybe is that that last two weeks has really probably inflated his value. And, and maybe the Knicks opinion of him. So if it would take more to get him all of a sudden, it's like, well, do we even have the pieces to make this work without, you know, like if if the Knicks don't want Kuzma, I don't really know how what like we have to offer otherwise that that would interest them. So,
2: yeah, and, and Kuzma is a very interesting player. I would love to add a guy with that level of talent, <clears throat> but one of the big one of the, like since the Knicks have inserted Quentin Grimes in the lineup, I think they've been fourteen and six, and like Brunson has been great. Not a great defender, so adding a physical point of attack defender and Grimes there helps. So if you add Kuzma, and it's so, I mean, I, I think it's it's more laughable, and but even you know, I was talking to another Knicks fan. If we had OG Ananobi, like the idea of moving Grimes out of the lineup would be a little problematic, right? And that's still a trade you would do. Um, no offense, I think OG Ananobi is a better player than Kuzma, um, but um, you know, like. Um, but it's the same thing. And like, and the other part of it is, you know, you can't, if they did that, you're playing Kuzma at the three, which um, that's where, you know, is that, is RJ Kuzma as great a combo in that? So I think it as I think you'd have to make it. And I don't think Kuzma would want to come off the yeah, bench, especially where what like you're
1: saying,
2: <laughs> Like, if we were to, you know, bench Obi or trade Obi, like, Kuzma as our super sub would be awesome. Um, but I don't know how well the Kuzma-Randall-RJ Barrett thing fits, you know? Um, so I think that would be difficult. Um, with quickly, I mean, one of the other things to remember is, like, he's been... When it comes to on-off, like, every year for the last three years, one of the most... Mm-hmm. He's been the most impactful Nick. Um, that's often with large stretches of not shooting the ball well. So the def- and, and yeah, I think you're spot on. Like he's the exact guy I would want next to Bradley Beal, or like kind of any high usage guard, um, because he can he can share responsibilities, but he can also play off ball. It's it's one reason I love Brunson and why I, I'll say it again. I think Dallas was really stupid to let him go because there's a, a lot of guards are either great on ball players who can't really who are just going to watch the the game when it's when they don't have the ball in their hands. Westbrook is the extreme example, but even guys like John Moran, even like DeJounte Murray is not a t- terrible catch and shoot guy. He's not a great shooter, but like DeJounte Murray, I think that's where they're struggling a little bit, right? With him and Trey where it's not even just about, can you shoot? It's just, you know, it's just the, the willingness to play off ball um, quickly has that. And I think that that gives that to you. Um, but I think that the Knicks, the Knicks have said that. I think that, um, like a first is the minimum is like the floor, right? They're, they definitely want a first. It sounds like I would imagine it's either unprotected or very lightly protected or something like that would end up being a top 10 in, on in the draft. Um, kind of on quickly also, I'll ask you this because I was also someone who was higher on him pre-draft. Um, I actually wrote a piece of this trick about him and, um, I, I had there were a couple of reasons that were interesting about his profile that stood out to me, but I'm curious as to what um what stuck out to you about. I just uh, thought that could be pre draft
1: Like fit was weird and and that whole team and we've got a bunch of like should be kind of more ball dominant guards than they are. Like quickly in the NBA is not gonna be like a ball dominant guy, but at the college level, uh I think you would want him having more touches and they didn't really know what to do with him next to Ashton Higgins and it, it just seemed like a guy that uh with with more thought put in, in mind about what his ideal fit was because it could really blossom uh, longer term but it's exactly what you just talked about it's it's somebody that has decent size can do a little bit of everything and you know it's probably never going to be like a star player but could be a star role player i think for for a team if if given kind of the right opportunities yeah and, and i think on that note like what really
2: was like, as a prospect, he, he was basically J.J. Redick in college, or that was his role that he had to play, right? Sure. Like, off-ball. I'm not saying he was as good as J.J. Redick. J.J. Redick and Deke was awesome. Uh, but he was a CC player of the year. But, like, he was a, a point-of-attack defender and an off-ball shooter for the most part. And what was really weird to me that was, like, his free-throw rate was close to .5, which was, like, that's usually, mm-hmm. like, that's usually you see of, like, the physical... You know, like the the guys who drive downhill, and that wasn't a big part of his game, but he was so good at drawing contact. And I was like, you know, that's something to keep an eye on. But um, but yeah, I I think um, I think at this point, it would. I mean, would the do you think the Wizards would be willing to give up another unprotected d- first? Just for quickly,
1: straight up, I can't see it happening if it's not a part of some bigger deal where they move some stuff around, and maybe there's a third team involved where somebody like a Kuzma ends up. But I, I doubt they'll be given up. Any additional picks, just because they're so limited with what they can do, pick flexibility wise. I don't know. Maybe it's removing protection on the current pick or something that you guys already have, or, or something like that would maybe be. I don't think they'd want to do that either because odds are it will probably suck, yeah. and this is not a year where you'd want to give up your lottery pick if if you don't have to. But uh, yeah,
2: it just. Go ahead. Yeah, and I think the. I think even with those additional machinations, the Knicks would probably want the raw part of quick, what are we getting back for quickly minusing, adding out everything else to be like a top 10 pick worthy yeah, thing. Yeah, right? I mean, so. like,
1: like you said, Randall playing better makes him a guy that they're going to want to keep and, and sort of redundancy, I think, with Kuzma. You mentioned like the Ananobi thing. Like OG like seemingly cannot pass at all. Like can't throw an entry pass to anyone else. I think Kuzma has been like really underrated as a, as a creator for others. And, and part of the problem with him That's true. since LA, by yeah, the way, exactly. Since but LA, like this year, but yeah. He gets into trouble where there's no other guys that can create on the team. So now you're asking a six foot 10 guy to do it. And you know, when, when there's limited people around you, he makes some bad passes. People can kind of ball hawk him a little bit more. Uh, and he gets himself into some trouble. But I, I think if you put him on a better team with more other offensive focal points, even if just with Beal was back healthy, uh, I think you'd see more sort of like straight up creation from from Kuzma. So I think he could help a team just that, that needs his particular skill set. And as a three, he's been pretty good defensively because he's, he's not like a lockdown defender, but he's a lot of dude to shoot over. And putting him next to Gafford and Porzingis has, has been better for the wizards. I think, you know, they're Mm -hmm. six and four over their last 10, but they had a pretty good run going before these last couple losses with Beal out uh, with that lineup combo.
0: So I feel like we've talked a lot about all the planets and all the moons in the Washington solar system, but I want to ask a question about the sun, which is Bradley Beal. Um, and I'm from an outside perspective, I'm, I'm really curious about this because the different markets have different cultures and different values towards um, players and fans' attitude. In some, in some markets, it doesn't matter if you win or lose. In some markets, that's all that matters. So Bradley Beal, I want from the outside for this to be like an Ernie Banks situation where even though the team hasn't really had any collective success, you have this player who has defied all convention and stayed in this situation when 90 something percent of stars in his situation by now have worked out a trade or left in free agency and i like the idea that he's beloved for this in washington but and maybe this is the the loud filter of social media but i tend to hear more condemnation of beal for like oh why like why wouldn't he why wouldn't he have asked out yet? Why is he stay through this? Like, what is he doing? And I feel like maybe he's happy where he lives, and maybe he likes his job. He likes the sixty and, extra, but I'm curious he can get. from a Washington, not necessarily you. That helps, but like, not necessarily you individually, but like the Washington fan base as a collective. There's not a ton, there hasn't been a ton of history to be happy about. You have this guy, very talented. He stayed. Is he loved? Is he not going to be loved until he's led them to some success on his own? Like, where I, I is totally lost there, Matt. the Bradley Beal be narrative with the Washington fan base right now?
2: Sorry, I think he's having connection issues. We'll get him on in a
1: minute.
0: There we go. <coughs> you there, For Matt? Brief. Uh, we had a brief technical difficulty, but we are back. Uh, Matt, I hope you were able to hear my question, because uh, I just is, did a lot it, of rambling. How do
1: you feel about Beal as a um, fan base? Okay. Uh, very much I so, yes. I would say it's 50-50. Half the people desperately want him gone, because they think he's stealing money from the franchise, and uh, doesn't play a ton, and doesn't defend, and really? uh, is sort of, yeah, he's a reflection of everything people seem to not like about the way the organization runs, and uh, you know, we're happy to commit to top five money to the 20th ish best player in the league, that sort of thing, just because he wants to be here. So and then there's the other half yeah. that's like, well, he, we're not going to do better. You know, when was the last time we've had a better player than this? So it'd be stupid to keep him. And I, I would say, like, from my little small echo chamber of of Wizards fandom, it probably is split on sort of the, the jury um, or where they are on on Beal and, and his tenure here. I think most people here are just kind of ready for a change or something different other than like shooting for the, the play in every year. And Beal seemingly can't be the number one guy on a team Mm -hmm. that's going to go deep into the playoffs. So committing to paying him to be that uh, for a long time is, is sort of questionable. So I think there's personally, I'd like to see him play enough this year to break the franchise scoring record And then if we don't make the playoffs, they can kind of happily part and the team can save face and say, we're going to rebuild and give Brad a fresh start here. He can always come back and say he was the all-time leading scorer as the wizard Mm -hmm. and they'll get to hang another banner and everybody can pat themselves on the back 10 years from now. And he's a, he's a good citizen. He's good in the community. So this is the first year the wizards have brought Gilbert arenas back because of all the other baggage. So to have somebody like Beale longer term that they can promote and have Bradley Beal bobblehead nights, you know, after he's retired and stuff, I think is important to them and everything except winning is seemingly important to them. So they, I I think that aspect of it probably actually is uh, meaningful to them. So I don't know. I hope that kind of answered your question. (laughs) Has that, yeah. Has, has
0: the viewpoint of Beal changed post the max deal? Because it sounds like that, the negativity toward him would be that he's not worth that, but obviously before that, it's made it worse. You know, uh,
1: like, like yeah, I think it's made it worse. Has I, it I think there? there was still a pretty reasonable yeah. contingent that wanted to blow the thing up two years ago, and that was less directed at Beale personally, and more just like, hey, this mm-hmm. isn't working. We need to start over and, and stop being, you know, shooting for the eight seed at the time, and now we're seemingly shooting for the ten seed at the you know instead. So. Mm-hmm it's, I don't think at the time it was a personal affront to Beale. Mm -hmm. He offended some people by coming in, you know, two years ago and media day and, you know, denouncing vaccines and and stuff like this. And there's just been some other little things. And and I think, you know, it's not endearing yourself when you go on two national podcasts (sighs) in the summer and talk about how you basically resigned in Washington because you couldn't find a better situation that could also pay you. No, you're just not really gonna like build a lot of fan loyalty that way I think. wow yeah
2: i can see that yeah it's um in in terms of him as a star though what are like the because i mean i think he's a stor- scoring guard with enough playmaking i do think he's a much like i would much rather build a team around him than zach Levine um but i think like You know, one of the harshest drop-offs from from a team building perspective is between that top ten and top twenty, right? You look at the guys that break into that. A guy like Tatum, uh, a guy like Paul George, I think has been very much on the fringe of that. But I'd put him on on the Mm. you know the other side of that. Um, And I think like this was a discussion that a lot of Knicks fans had, um, you know, during the Donovan Mitchell talks that kind of dominated all summer. What um, and for us, I think the answer was always Donovan Mitchell six one doesn't play a lot of defense. It's just tough to win a championship with that as your best player. Uh, what is it that's that in your mind maybe keeping Beal from ascending to that level? That no, makes sense. We, we've talked a lot about um, kind of the more macro issues around both these teams, but there is a game to we played on Friday um, between these two teams. Uh, so the Knicks have been a very streaky team. Uh, they had an eight-game winning streak followed by a five-game losing streak followed by another four-game winning streak. And now they've, they've won four in a row before splitting the last two games. <laughs> a lot of ups and downs. Um, those who haven't been following the Knicks as closely are still probably familiar with the fact that they blew a nine-point game, a uh, nine-point lead, with less than thirty seconds left—like thirty seconds left—to the Dallas Luka Doncic's. And um, you know, it's um, you know, there's been a lot of blown leads. Even yesterday, the Knicks were up twenty-five in the second half, and um, the Pacers came all the way back to within two um the Knicks have been working through some injuries they've been playing with a short rotation they're trying to now work R.J. Barrett and Obi Toppin back in the rotation uh, there's been a lot of pluses they've been very good in the first and second half um you know Jalen Brunson and R.J. Uh, and, and Julius Randle have been spectacular and Grimes and Quickly and Mitchell Robinson have really been elite role players for the last month or so um that's kind of what's going on on, on the Knicks end but from the Wizards side you know, are, are there things to watch out for? You know, things that the that the Wizards do really well that the Knicks are probably gonna have to worry about. Things where they may be vulnerable. Uh, how do you see this game kind of kind of playing out from that side?
1: It's gonna come down to I think Beal realistically and his availability. So he was just cleared to return to basketball activities today, but probably unlikely that he's like progressed through their sort of checklists enough to to play uh, in this game on Friday. So that really limits them, I think, because they've been their most successful with this big lineup of, of Porzingis and Gafford together and Kuzma basically at the three. The problem there is, is you're very limited from a creation penetration and shooting, you know, spacing perspective. So when you take uh, Beal out and replace him with somebody like Corey Kispert, you keep the shooting, but you lose kind of those other things that Beal brings and just the attention and, and gravity that he has as an offensive player. So, that'll that'll really hurt them I think and, and they've struggled without him the last couple of games because Kuzma's really your only other guy that can penetrate and create for others and you just don't want him having to do all of that by himself and, and have that kind of high an offensive burden or workload because it's you know, Monte Morris is fine and he'd be a really great backup for somebody but he's not getting into the teeth of the defense and, and drawing a lot of attention and creating like good looks for other people and it's really kind of on Kuzma and what he's able to do uh, to create some of those looks. If, if he's sloppy Kuzma with seven turnovers and shoots seven of 23, the wizard's probably lose by a dozen. If he's seven of 14 with two turnovers and six or seven assists and eight or nine rebounds and 21 points or whatever it is, like it just makes them a lot tougher. So you've got a lot of guys like we talked about with Rui and, Denny and Kispert, that are sort of one dimensional. If they're able to play to those one dimensions pretty well, they're they're all kind of volatile guys in some respects. So, if Rui is shooting well and can move the ball around enough to to get some, um, you know, to capitalize on the attention he draws, that helps. If Denny's rebounding like he was the other night, that helps. Um, Like I said, Porzingis and Gafford did both just miss this last uh, game. I don't know their status yet for Friday as well. If they're both out. You're going to see a lot of Taj Gibson, a name you guys will be very hey. familiar. With. And uh, Anthony Taj Gill, Gibson. which if you don't watch the Wizards, you probably have no idea who Anthony Gill is. And and honestly, like nor should you. Sorry, Anthony Gill, if you're listening to this, but really nice guy. He should, he, he should be a tenth man, and he's probably going to be like their first big off the bench uh, in this game. Even though he's probably more of a wing than a big for the most part, so. It's it, w- it would be tough sledding for us to try to win back-to-back games with all of those people out. So maybe you see one, two, three of them back, and then they'll have a chance. But I, I would say, just assuming some amount of injury absence here, that the Knicks would be prohibitive favorites in this game, I would think.
2: How um, So how often, if Porzingis is healthy, how often do they play five out with him at the center?
1: How often do they play five out? Uh, or with,
2: how often do they even play him at center, period? but.
1: Uh, they were playing him as sort of the, the center for the team for most of the season up until maybe the last like 10, 12 ish games. And they realized that the, Gafford thing really works because Porzingis isn't sort of a great rebounder by himself at this point, And he's kind of far away from the basket. So you need somebody trying to corral some of his misses. And it also gets the best out of Gafford because he doesn't have to be sort of the lone defensive anchor. He's a little undersized despite being a good athlete. So they're both probably best suited as drop coverage bigs, but we're just sort of playing them both together somehow, and uh, it's it's worked for the most part. The other thing you worry about, I think, with something like that is that, well, yeah, it worked for a while. Is it gimmicky, and will teams now that they've got a sample size enough to scout it start to figure out how to beat it? And, and maybe that's starting to happen a little bit more over the last couple of games.
2: Yeah, it's it's interesting to say because I think five out is something that's stressed the Knicks um, for the over the last two seasons. That's not even a knock on Mitchell Robinson, but the, the Knicks like having him close to the rim. Yep, makes sense. Um, so even, I mean, even whether it's Goga happen which happened yesterday, or Vucevic has Vucevic has been probably the highest variance player against the Knicks. When he's hitting his threes, it, it really causes problems for the Knicks when we play the Bulls. And I'm, I'm curious, you know, how they would, you know, if they force Mitchell Robinson to have to come out and guard Perzingis on the perimeter, um, you know, the, the part of what's helped is the Knicks are playing a lot of, Better perimeter defenders, but the reality is, you know, uh, Jalen Brunson has to play 35, 36 minutes, uh, and um, at that time, you know, five out becomes a tough proposition. Uh, and, and just in general, having bigs that can shoot, and the Knicks do give up a lot of threes. Uh, you know, they have a top ten defense. Mitchell Robinson's elite rim protector. Quentin Grimes has really changed the defense, and and kept they're they're good at preventing uh, attempts at the rim. They're a solid defense rebounding team. You up a lot of threes. Um, so the definitely dig,
1: like the fifth fewest threes in the league. I want to say they're bottom five ish. So that should help you guys. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's, that's definitely welcome news to hear. So, uh, yeah.
1: And Porzingis. So it, it's a rib thing. He is questionable. Uh, if he doesn't play, like I said, it, it really then becomes, well, we'll see what Gafford's status is. He might also be out. He can't shoot it. Gibson can't really shoot it. Anthony Gill, who I mentioned is shooting below 15% from three on the season. So, uh, you so know, with the Knicks' luck, lose.
2: it'll be Johnny Davis's fifty-point. So there Welcome to the NBA game.
1: <laughs> I I could die happy on the spot if he came in and scored ten points. So we'll we'll see what we can do here. I would expect him also to not play at all in the oh, game. Well. Probably. A lot of injury sounds like. Uh, yeah, Davis got hurt in warm up the other night. But even if he were healthy, he probably wouldn't play for them. He's just not really even in the rotation mm-hmm. at this point in his career.
0: So we're just about out of time, but there's a question I've always wanted to ask a Washington person, and you are that person, Madreño. <laughs> okay, I'm nervous. Who is who? Yeah, you can be a little nervous. Who is the Wizards' biggest rival?
1: Oh, the Wizards' biggest rival. Uh, I think we hate the Heat. Is the, is the
0: answer no one? Because I can't think of one.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, for or, the last. The last decade, it would have been Cleveland, honestly, because LeBron got yeah. them out of the playoffs four straight years. Or there was some bad blood with the Bulls. You know, there was a postseason brawl, actually, I think, yes. with Taj Gibson a second time, too. You know, so, like, there's there's been some shenanigans there. I think fans in Washington seem to hate Heat fans, also because every Heat blog spends all of their time talking about what they could do to trade for Bradley Beal. And it's usually like... <laughs> Hey, if we gave you Jamal Cain in a second round pick, would you give us Bradley <laughs> Beal? Uh, so I think there's some some bad blood with them as sort of just a you know an amorphous fan base without a face to it. But in terms of on court production, yeah, I, w- I would say probably Cavs or, or Bulls has been the one for the most part. Uh, maybe I'm missing somebody obvious, and I don't know if anybody listening to this, uh, you know, has a. Has an I'm answer. just glad you
2: guys still don't have a grudge over Old Monroe. So. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, honestly, that would be cool if both these teams could have a rivalry, right? I mean, like, i, I that'd be something I'd want to see. It's really never in. happened. Yeah, they're, they're just know? never relevant at the same time. And honestly, it's because most yeah. both teams have not really been relevant for the most part for the last 25 years. So, um, mm-hmm. it, you know, I mean, the doesn't... closest thing
2: is that preseason game where uh, Marcus Morris bopped the mm-hmm. ball on... Um, Marcus Morris, That's who I, who we now refer to as the guy who was turned uh-huh. into Emmanuel quickly, uh, which was It was probably... also Quincy
0: A.C. Quincy A.C. did go you know, after John Wall in that famous game where the other four Knicks on the floor, like, basically walked away and had no interest in supporting Quincy A.C. against the Wizards at all. That always stands out to me. He got so pissed, and he came up, and, like, I remember Carmelo just, like, Drifted off
1: the floor. He could not no. care less. No, I'm not getting <laughs> suspended. They're not docking my pay for this bullshit. Yeah. No. no it's AC man.
2: I the cat. I actually forgot about those Cavs series, but there's a lot of fun. Uh, I I always had a I had a soft spot for the Wall team. I always liked John Wall. I, I generally like very speedy players. I I'm still a Kyra Lewis Jr. believer. Um, obviously, John player. Wall was a <laughs> was a much better player, but I've always been a fan of Walls. Um, I was a fan of those arenas teams. I think they even, they played a four or five series with the Cavs before LeBron even got there. Right. And it was like Larry Hughes and, um,
1: uh, so, so LeBron was there, um, on those teams. And then Larry, uh, got sort of stolen away in the dark of the night because our GM tried to lowball him and Cleveland was like, "Now nah, we'll, we'll throw you the bag. And he's like, cool. I'm going to go to a better team and make more money. Uh, okay. Mm-hmm. Which. Mm-hmm. Larry's my guy, so I, I personally don't blame him for that. If someone's trying to to give you the runaround, but yeah, they they had a playoff series before that against LeBron, and you have the one where LeBron whispers to Gilbert Arenas on the free throw line, and Gilbert misses two free throws and loses us the game. And
2: that's they had Anton fun. Jameson on that team too, right? Jameson. And
1: when Larry left, they traded Kwame Brown for Karam Butler, and then we played them a couple more yeah. times, and uh, we're just never Karan helped. But, Those but were some we asked, some contentious series, yeah. Yeah, they were. I mean, there was some definite bad blood there. And, you know, Mm -hmm. people were bringing their favorite rapper to beef with other people's favorite rappers. And uh, it was very, like, early, mid-2000s. Sean um, Stevenson, I forgot about that. Oh, my God. The Soldier Boy. (laughs) Yeah. Those were the fun days of the NBA. You don't see (laughs) that. Those were crazy days. Oh, my God. You just got Drake walking around uh... being corny and stuff. Uh, Is is there any rivalry between the Knicks and the Nets? Does that exist at all? I would say
0: it's become more of one. It's, it's never been, it's kind of a similar thing with Washington where they have never been in each other's way for anything serious. But Mm -hmm. since the nets moved to Brooklyn, there's definitely more uh, intensity, I think because the nets have functionally been relatively so much better in Brooklyn, even before KD and Kyrie than they were Mm -hmm. in New Jersey. Um, you only had in the nineties, like for like a year or two, the Nets were coming up when the Knicks were good, and then John Starks like broke Kenny Anderson's wrist, and the Nets were never good again. And then Drazen Petrovic um, passed away, but since coming to Brooklyn, especially, it's more intense because now you have vocal net fans at Madison Square Garden, and when the Knicks go to Brooklyn, it's much more of a split. Even though I think it's still mostly Nick fans in New Jersey, it could be it could be like. You know, 70-30 Nick fans over yeah. Net fans.
2: Yeah, I, I think there's, uh, there's, there's definitely a, there's legacy fans from New Jersey who, to be very transparent, I have more respect for, um, who are always Nets fans. Sure. Um, I would say that online, my experience has been online, there's a much bigger Nets-Nicks rivalry than in real life. Mm, um, yes. I have friends who live in Brooklyn or moved there who live very close to the Barclays Center and go to the games and they're Nets fans and we talk hoop and have a good time. And then you have certain, uh, without naming names, geriatric, very bitter anti nicks fans uh, or Nets fans. You have ESPN who has constantly tried to play up this, you know, are the Nets taking over in New York thing. I think it seems like right now because of KD and Kyrie, the Nets are getting more exposure. You know, they had Nick Claxton actually had more votes for the All-Star game than Randall so far. Um, so those things are happening, but um, to answer your question, I it's not a rivalry because like neither the, the both teams have not been good at the same time. And as many strides as the Knicks have made, Tom Thibodeau has not beaten the Nets, and they're they're a better team than us right now. Um, they are legitimate title contenders. I'd still probably put Boston over them, but Brooklyn might as have as good a shot as anyone to, to beat them, especially since Milwaukee is looking a little um, even with Middleton healthy,
1: vulnerable. That is great.
2: Yeah, Yeah, um, but you can't. I don't think you can call it a rivalry when one team is better. And I think for most of um, most of the '90s, the Knicks were the better team. Most of the '2000s, neither was very good. And then right now, the Knicks are respectable, and the the Nets are are an elite team. And um, Jason Kidd is raising his hand about those '2000s finals
1: run. Yeah,
2: that was early '2000s, and those no, they they were the those were the least entertaining championship contests contests i've ever watched in any sport um like i mean think about like think about ai and those sixers that were so overmatched against the lakers that was it was 4-1 it was a good series um the Nets series were at no and i'm, I'm not trying to rip the nets i was just legitimately i was rooting for them i i i liked jason kidd at that time um i liked vince carter No, Um, so, um, but to answer your question, I think the rivalry exists a lot more online and in the media space than within Knicks and Nets fans, but a Subway series would be very interesting. Uh, You know, it's very possible, you know, if if the Nets finish with three seed or two seed and the Knicks are six or seven, Mm -hmm. I think it'd be pretty interesting. And, um, you know, if if they both have a sustained, that's the, that's the big missing thing. You need two teams to have a sustained period of success, right? Right. And uh, at
1: the same time, so. I'd like to see that. It'd be fun from, uh, from a distance.
0: I think it'd be great if it, if it happened. It'd be really, really fun. Uh, the city hasn't really had that outside of baseball. Um, and the Mets and Yankees, oh, there's only so many games they play and only so many of them are meaningful. It's very exciting when the Knicks and Nets are playing a game that has juice. I just wanted to I, – I don't have a reason ever to say this with another guest, so I just wanted to let Matt know that um, I'm old enough that my first exposure to Washington – bullets was um manute bowl and like i loved manute bowl like those are the old and michael adams they, they used to have manute who was seven seven they had mugsy bogues they had michael adams who was who shot like a like had to heave it like from his shoulder he looked like a kid i loved those teams and on nba jam my my barnstorming team was always i would take washington and i could get manute bowl and yeejin land on the same squad together, and that was my like bizarre NBA jam. Those were my guys, man. So much fun. Manute Paul was great on the Bullets. They,
1: I, I'm actually and reading if you want... Mugg, Muggsy Bogues' autobiography right now, and he just did a section. Are you nice? One year, yeah, one year on the Bullets, yeah. and he talked about doing the photo ops with Manute and getting tired of it because. Mm-hmm. I guess Tony Kornheiser called him uh the circus act or the freak show or something so he hated doing those kind of photos but they're they're hilarious he to left. look at a 5 3 guy <laughs> and a 7 6 guy.
0: I remember the poster. It was yeah. it was like Mugsy and then I think the word bullets because there was so much room <laughs> still
1: right. left to fill the room. fill the blank space.
2: Mm-hmm. Well maybe uh maybe that could be a good recruiting tactic for uh for Bulbul, right? For the yeah, who's the shortest player able- <laughs> in
1: the league right now that we could go out and get to? uh make a Sorry. draft Max Aesmith out of Oral Roberts is like five eight. They could put him next to Bulbul. That's pretty close. <laughs> what <are you> <laughs> yeah. Uh,
2: right,
1: well, um, thanks again,
2: Matt, for, uh, yeah. for joining us. <laughs> uh, is there before we get out of here? Is there anything you want to plug or?
1: No, this has been a lot of fun. I'm I'm happy to do this anytime you guys want. I think I've even suggested to our network that we should do some more sort of cross promotional stuff across the other Believe podcasts. I think most of the people that listen to our podcast like truly did not know that there was a network of other podcasts they just thought we named our show believe in wizards because who believes in <laughs> wizard realistically uh but yeah there there are other podcasts you guys do a great Muggles, job, right
2: sorry that, that was yeah. my last harry potter joke but <laughs> uh, it's
1: the best um so yeah i mean there's there's uh there's a whole network of us out there so it's cool to do this and uh, you mm-hmm. guys do a great job so i i'm, I'm glad we got it together
2: likewise Thank so yeah, thanks to so much for coming on
1: and uh
0: yeah, just a reminder that the show is presented by Bet Online. It is also obviously presented by Stacy and I. Um, you can follow the Believe in Wizards at the Believe spelling gets a little funky. B L E A V I N Wizards, um, Believe in Wizards, and uh, we will wish Matt Murdock's Wizards well every night, other than tomorrow night. Um, right it back, would yeah. it would be fun to see Washington. I like I I always like the East better when. Washington has some buzz, and those games, you know, can be very exciting. It's a, it's a fan base that deserves more than they get, and when the team has any kind of buzz going, it's a really fun place to watch a game. So,
1: I hope that things same. Um,
2: I'll add same with Maryland and Georgetown yeah. too. I'd add it's just a, it's a great basketball area. So,
1: all all mm-hmm. three are not great at the moment. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah and not,
2: since a lot of people are asking me, I'm happy to be the Georgetown coach. <laughs> I don't know if you, anyone you saw that. But. You couldn't
0: do any Where <laughs> you come from uh, Patrick Ewing's job on the air of a Nick podcast?
2: Jay, the guy who clowns us all the time too. I, I was not a fan of that tweet, but uh, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Same. Well, Same.
0: We hope you enjoyed this deep dive into Middle Atlantic basketball, and we will see you next time. Take care, everybody. Thank you for listening to Believe.